I'm sure if you've got a television, you've already met them and been very annoyed by them, probably, if you're like me. I'm Tom, and this is my identical brother, Jack. An advert for an insurance company. And they're not just identical twins. They have identical houses, identical cars, and even identical dogs. But not only this, they also have identical misfortunes. Both their houses are flooded. Both their cars are smashed. In fact, my wife came in the other day and I said, you'll never guess what's been on television, there's a tragedy. What is it, she said, I said, it's Tom and Jack, both their dogs have had an accident. But there the similarities end. For Tom's house is fixed immediately, while Jack has to pay money up front. Tom's car is repaired, and he has nothing to pay, while Jack has to pay a huge excess. And the vet's bill for Tom's dog costs him nothing. While poor old Jack has to shell out a thousand pounds. And what made the difference? Well, Tom was insured with direct line. While his poor brother Jack was insured by another well-known insurance company that didn't even include insurance for pets. And I'm worried. What tragedy is still lurking around the corner for these identical twins? And will Jack see the light and change his insurance company? Jesus once told a story about two brothers. In fact, if you know the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, he actually told two stories about two brothers. One's very well known. It's usually called the parable of the prodigal son. But in actual fact, it features an older brother. He stayed while his brother strayed. But Jesus told as well a lesser known parable about two sons. We are told that they were identical twins, but we are told that they faced identical choices and that they both changed their minds with radically different outcomes. The Bible has an awful lot to say about changing your mind. In fact, it has a special word for it. It's the word repent, or the noun repentance, which means actually, originally in Greek, a change of mind. And the issues that Jesus spoke about are far, far, infinitesimally more important than what insurance you have or don't have. And the first requirement of those who would be followers of Jesus is that you have to repent. You have to change your mind. So I simply want to look at this story with you. You may never have read it before. In fact, I'll guarantee this, some of you have been Christians quite a long time and you may not even recall reading this parable, all right? But it's in the Bible, all right? It's in Matthew's Gospel. There are Bibles in the pews. If you need a Bible, I'd like to uh, have a look at that. There's a pile of them down there. Look, if you want one down there, some down there. Matthew 21, verses 28 to 32. Now, you'll find it in the church Bibles on page 989. And it's only a few verses. 28 to 32, that's five I think, isn't it? And these are words of Jesus. 
It's actually speaking to the people of Israel on one of his preaching occasions, but he's specifically speaking to the religious leaders of Israel who were very opposed to Jesus. Didn't like him, what he said and did. It's what Jesus said, verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. Son, go and work in my vineyard. He answered, I will, sir, but he didn't go. Question, Jesus asked. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John, that's John the Baptist, came to show you the way of righteousness. And you didn't believe him. But tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. These are the words of the Son of God. Now, very simply, it's very easy. It's got a very important point. These parables that Jesus told, they always have a sting in the tail. T-A-L-E, alright? Notice three features of the story. First of all, identical requests. Did you notice the same request? The father in the story makes the identical request of each of his sons. Son, go and work today in my vineyard. Notice, first of all, that this request is made to sons. If you look in the previous chapter in Matthew, there's another parable that Jesus also told about a man with a vineyard. In this case, it was a landowner, this is in chapter 20, who hired labourers to work in his vineyard. But while our parable in this next chapter features a man with a vineyard, here the focus is on a father with two sons. Notice, he doesn't order his two sons to work for him, as though they were employees. He would have had the perfect right to do so. No, he asks each of them to work for him in the vineyard on the basis of his relationship with them. It's a sign of the father's love that he doesn't compel them to work, but invites them to work. There is work to be done in the family business. And it's natural that the sons of the family should involve themselves in that work, but still they have a choice. And so do we. God, our maker, has a perfect right to demand our allegiance and our service. But he gives us the choice whether we will follow him or not. We are not program robots who when God presses a button automatically respond in love and obedience. And sadly, the history of the human race, right from its inception, right back to the first part of the Bible, the story in the Garden of Eden shows that given the choice, all of us go our own way rather than God's way. And we say no. I'm not going to do it. In fact, one of the prophets in the Old Testament put it like this. He said, all we like lost sheep have gone our own way. We've turned to our own way. 
Notice secondly, it's not only to sons, but he invites them to work. But when he says, son, go and work today in my vineyard. One of the common themes of the teaching of Jesus, the parables of Jesus, is about work and responsibility, about service, about rolling up your sleeves and getting engaged in serving God. Yes, there are parables that are about celebrations, several of them about wedding banquets, there's big parties when lost sheep and lost sons come home. And ultimately, Jesus tells us, at the end of time, there's going to be an enormous party that will put a praise night like this into the shade, wonderful though it is. But now, at the moment, there is work to do. As the Father reminds each of his sons. Right now, not only to sons, not only to work, but also today. Look what he says, son, go and work today in my vineyard. Now, here's the amazing thing. God is still calling sons and daughters, people like you and me, into his service today. Not with the motivation of getting paid for it but because it's part of our responsibility and privilege. But the great tragedy today, and I speak as a pastor, and as a person who's worked in missionary service for over 20 years, the great need today is lack of workers. Earlier in this Gospel, Matthew records at the end of chapter 9, he says, Jesus saw the great crowds that thronged around him and he saw them as they really were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and he said to his disciples, using a picture from agriculture, he said, the harvest is plentiful but the workers, the labourers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Nothing has changed today. There is work to do, and the Father still calls. He does not call, son, go sit in my pew. He says, son, go and serve in my vineyard. So, let me simply ask you a question this evening. Are you actively involved in God's service? Is it hard work? Can I suggest if it's not hard work, you probably aren't. You're prepared to roll up your sleeves. Get stuck into the local church you belong to. Serve the Lord in whatever way you can. It'll cost you time. Cost you energy. Cost you money. There's nothing greater than God, the Almighty God, the Creator God, calling you into His service. Maybe He used to be in His service. And like the caterers at Heathrow Airport, you've gone on strike. You've fallen out with somebody. Or somebody offended you. Well, maybe it's genuine, they really did. But God is calling you today to work for him. To serve him. And what is vital is how you respond to that call. Now, notice, after identical requests, notice secondly, different responses. This is very simple, it's all here in the story, alright? The responses of the two sons are very different, opposite. The first son gives a short and sharp answer to his father. An outright refusal. The first son said, I will not. Sounds a bit blunt, doesn't it? Unless you've got children like I have. And unless like I am, you've been a child. You remember your parents said, Son, go clean your room. I will not. Now, the first son in this parable 
is the person who hears the call of God and it's absolutely blunt and clear. When they hear God's demands on their life, they say, No way! I will not! Categorically. My experience is that most these kind of people are in a minority, at least publicly. They may decide they're not going to do anything, but they're not prepared to just stand up and say, I'm not going to serve God. But to delay or to fidget is really to say no, is it not? Now, the second son seems quite different in his response. In fact, in the original language, it's very clear. And so he's overheard the first son saying, I will not. And he says emphatically, I will, sir. And his response is one of outward acceptance. This sounds like the person who hears God's call and immediately says, I will, sir. I will, Lord. Maybe they're moved into service like this. Or challenged by a sermon. Or a testimony, or a song, or another person's life. Or they're disturbed by a bereavement or a tragedy that makes them think about life. And they say all the right things, and they make all the right promises and commitments. Maybe they even get baptised and join a local church. I wonder which of these two categories you fall into. All of us here this evening fall into one of these two categories in response to God's demands on our lives. We're either those who say, I will, or those who say, I won't. Maybe you're like the first brother. You've set yourself and you've heard the Christian message, you know it's about, but you say, I will not. Maybe you can pride yourself in your outspokenness over against other friends who don't believe but won't admit it. You're glad you're not a hypocrite, play-acting. Christianity. Can I ask you, what are you playing at? What will become of your refusal to respond to the Father's call? But I suspect in a church like this, and maybe in most churches, there are far more people who fall into the category of the second brother. Those who make an outward profession to serve God, to follow Christ. Maybe you can look back on an occasion like that in your life where you made a commitment and you said, I will. Maybe you went forward, prayed a prayer. But important though that is, what this parable teaches, we're coming now to the punchline, what this parable teaches us, what Jesus wants to emphasise, is that promises are not enough. As we see in the conclusion of the parable, here's the sting in the tail, complete reversals. The story doesn't end as we expect, if we listen to what the brothers actually said. But despite his blunt refusal, the first son thinks better of it, he changes his mind, and he does what the father asked him to do, and he goes to work. In contrast, the second son also changes his mind, or at least changes what he said, and instead of doing what his father promised, doing what he promised his father he would do, he breaks his word and he doesn't go to work. Now, at this point, Jesus then turns to the religious leaders. This is one of the easiest questions in the world, surely, isn't it? I mean, you just tell this story, and he turns to the religious leaders and says, Now, here's the point, the important question. Which of these two did what his father said? Well, you don't need an A-level in theology to answer the question, do you, really? It's obvious. First, despite his initial refusal... The one who obeyed is the one who changed his mind and went to work. Not the one who said he was going to and then didn't do it. Now, Jesus then explains what he's talking about to these religious people. And it's all about the entrance requirement for the kingdom of God. How do you get into God's kingdom? Here on earth that will take you into heaven. Look what he says. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. 
the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you, for John came to show you the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you didn't change your mind and believe him. In other words, what determines whether you'll get into heaven is repentance, a change of mind. And Jesus said John the Baptist, his cousin, that strange and eccentric figure, had burst onto the scene of national life in Israel. Everybody went out to hear him by the River Jordan. His message was clear. Mark tells us in his Gospel, John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Fill in the blanks. John said, you need to turn from your sin and as a sign of that get baptized and God will forgive your sin. And people like crooked tax collectors who were regarded as collaborators and outside the pale, and immoral prostitutes, people who by their lifestyles had seemed to say to God, no, I will not, heard the call of John the Baptist to change their minds, and they said, I will. And they responded to God's call, and hundreds, thousands of them probably, responded to the message, and were crowding into God's kingdom. But in contrast, the religious leaders of Israel, who seemed by what they said to profess, serve God, they refused to repent. They didn't believe John the Baptist. Even when, especially when, they saw all these other folk going into the kingdom ahead of them. But John warned them that the same entrance requirement for the kingdom of God applied to them as to these outcasts, tax collectors and prostitutes. You see, you need repentance, a change of mind, which is seen in action, a change in behaviour. John the Baptist was very outspoken. When these religious people came to the River Jordan, that's what he said to them. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God could raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew 3, 8 to 10. You see, mere promises, like those of the second son in the parable, are not enough. Repentance, a change of mind, must lead to a change of behaviour and action. Otherwise, Jesus says, you religious leaders, you've said all the right things, but you've not followed it up. Otherwise, you'll be excluded from the kingdom. And these other folk will get in. For failing to believe John the Baptist and the one of whom he spoke, Jesus himself. Now, I'm almost through, actually, so let's come to a conclusion. The point of the parable is obvious. As with many of the parables of Jesus, there is a direct contrast between two groups of people. First of all, there's a warning in the parable seen in the second son. The warning is, promises are not enough. Outward profession, religious pedigree and activities were not enough for the leaders of Israel and they are not enough for us either. But there is a message of hope here seen in the second son. Repentance is possible. The kingdom of God, a church like this, is populated by people who at one time by their lifestyle and behaviour said no to God. But they heard the good news and the call to change their minds. And by God's grace they repented. And they are now in God's kingdom. And I simply want to say to you this evening, you can be such a person. 
But repentance is essential. You must turn from your sin and your own self-centered life if you're to serve God. And you need to turn and put your faith in the one of whom John the Baptist spoke. When he saw Jesus, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, the Lamb of God, we've been singing about it this evening already, died to take away our sin. And through repentance and faith in him, we can be forgiven. Here is a message of hope for someone here who thus far has rejected God. You've not gone through in your promises. Here is hope for you seen in this parable. There is still hope. Maybe God is calling you this evening. No matter who you are, no matter what you may have done in the past, I simply ask you this evening, will you not respond to God's call? Son, daughter, go work in my vineyard. I began with identical twins, Tom and Jack, facing identical challenges but with different outcomes. The point of the advert is to get you to change your insurance. Your insurance. But the point of the parable is to get us to change our minds about matters of far greater importance than crashed cars, flooded houses and sick pets. See, one day each one of us, and Tom and Jack, or people like them, will face the ultimate challenge. One day we will stand before God's judgment throne and will either enter God's kingdom or be put outside it forever. And the only insurance against God's judgment is repentance and faith in his son, Jesus Christ. So I simply want to ask you this evening, will you not change your mind by God's grace Turn from your sin and your old way of life. Put your faith in Jesus. The entrance to the kingdom of God is marked by repentance, a change of mind, which leads to a change of direction into the service of God. And if God is calling you today, today, then you need to respond today to change your mind today. I hope you'll do that. Let me give you an opportunity to do that. There's a little booklet I'm going to offer you as you leave going down the steps called Journey into Life. It's a picture of it on the screen. It just explains a bit how you can change direction. It's all about journeys. All right? Uh, and in the back of this, somewhere, there's a prayer you can pray if you want to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray this prayer. I'll pray it out loud and if you really want to respond and put your faith in Jesus Christ then you just repeat it quietly in your own heart. If you genuinely mean it, you genuinely want to turn and respond to God's call, you can do that this evening. So let's just bow in prayer for a moment. Let's reflect for a moment. This may be the most important moment in someone's life. Hearing the call of Jesus Christ to follow him and to serve him. Here's the prayer if you want to pray it. Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I have sinned in my thoughts, words and actions. There are so many good things I have not done. There are so many sinful things I have done. I'm sorry for my sins 
and turn from everything I know to be wrong. You gave your life on the cross for me. Gratefully, I give my life back to you. Now I ask you to come into my life. Come in as my saviour to cleanse me. Come in as my Lord to control me. And I will serve you all the remaining years of my life in complete obedience.